Welcome back to One Winning Pod, where it is the off-season. We are in full off-season mode in more ways than one. And as is fun to do in the off-season, as we're waiting for real training camp to start and preseason games to begin, we will be speculating, as everyone who's a Ravens fan and is still keeping tabs with the team at this time is doing. And there's a lot of questions we have about this upcoming season. Um, A lot of fun Twitter battles online about what's going on with the team, who's going to play, whether or not Lamar Jackson is going to sign his contract. Yes, that is a conversation that's happening right now. But yeah, we're going to look at some of those and uh, look at them kind of in the lens of what's happened with this franchise in the past with similar situations, what historical parallels are there, and do any of them have any insight into what's going to happen going forward. Um, So Obviously, every year is different. Every set of players is different, but it should be a fun little exercise. So, yeah, guys, what do you think? Peter, I think that's a good point. You know, that's why we take history classes, right, in the school. We look want to learn about the past so we can better speculate the future. And uh, I think one of the best places to start would it be the Lamar contract. Um, there's been a lot of times the Ravens have had key players, uh, even at the quarterback position, have controversy around their contract in 2012 obviously we had the joe flacco situation and we kind of wish that happens again and you know (laughs) lamar wins the super bowl and has to get paid an undeniable amount of money i guess the good side of it is that we all think lamar deserves that money whereas with flacco the money was a little bit more questionable uh not everyone was on board even after that season to give him a huge payday uh, but then there's other stars like Ray Lewis and Terrell Suggs years prior where it took some time for them to come to an agreement. Uh, Lamar reported today to minicamp after skipping voluntary OTAs, which gave ESPN something to talk about. Um, I thought it was really stupid. Uh, he's there when he needs to be there. And uh, I don't think he really missed too much from OTAs. So I think life's good. Yeah. I mean, so much has already been said about Lamar um, and his situation. It, I mean, it, Certainly, I mean, the only thing I can kind of echo is it's a unique situation. Um, You know, going back, I mean, uh, you know, like you mentioned, the Terrell Suggs uh, franchise tag situation. He was franchised twice, 2008, after the 2008 and 2009 seasons. And I mean, there was, you know, a little bit of a grievance, I think, in terms of Suggs' designation for the franchise tag, because it it meant a difference in a couple million dollars uh, if he was counted as a defensive end or an outside linebacker. Uh, so, but they were able to kind of figure it out. But in terms of like Lamar, it's you know he hasn't said anything. Like there, there's not really any frustration coming from his camp whatsoever uh, in terms of the situation. He's obviously like practicing and uh, working out, making sure his body's right. So like he's doing all the right things. Um, it just hasn't happened yet. And yeah, it's a little like I don't want to say concerning, like because it's not like I'm not concerned. But it, like if you do look at the data, I guess most. Uh, you know, first round quarterbacks, like they are going to be signing um, a, a deal before, uh, you know, their fifth year. So it, it is a little strange in terms of like the data, I guess. Um, but other than that, it, it's just, it's so unique because you don't see anything uh, l- like you would see in, in the Terrell Suggs situation. The Suggs situation is really interesting to me because as we were doing the notes for this podcast, I, I had completely forgotten that this was even a thing, um, that there was any uh, disagreement between Suggs and the team uh, for Suggs' um, first non-rookie contract with the team. Um, and in a lot of ways, you know, 
Lamar's getting the spotlight because he's the quarterback. Um, he's one of the most electrifying and exciting to watch quarterbacks in the league. So therefore, he's always going to be one of the top 10 to 12 players in the national spotlight while he's still playing football. But yeah, you know, I, I think this is something that long term with the exception of the fact that probably the sports media will continue to bring it up that it happened, will probably go, you know, forgotten for the most part. That's all speculation, because obviously we don't know Lamar, we don't know what's going on, but um, yeah, you know, I've heard some things from some Ravens fans. Some people are are getting a little worried, but I don't, I, I don't, I agree with you guys. I don't think we have any reason to think that there's any credence to anything like that. So, I think unless we hear something differently, we can assume that Lamar and the Ravens will work out a contract at some point before it's too late. That's a really good point, Peter. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me what I think about the situation that I would designate as maybe more casual fans. I do think it's picked up a lot of traction almost from people who are either unaware of the team or are not following almost as closely, right? Even if they are fans of the team, they don't follow as closely. They're just like kind of catching the headlines. And I think maybe the reason why this is so interesting, as Chris alluded to, there's not any discontent from the Lamar camp. Normally in these problems, there's discontent from the player. And he's just like, at least publicly, silent. He's just like, I, I you know, I'm not worried about it right now. Right, which is a very interesting way to play it. So, if anything, there almost seems to be discontent from the Raven side because I think they would love to get it done because it benefits them. I think they're extremely aware of the fact that Lamar's playing a really good game and they wish that he would just sign like everyone else has for them in the past. Because, <laughs> like, the dollar number just does keep going up. And we've talked about it the worst outcome for Lamar, which seems very important improbable of either like career ending injury or just playing remarkably poorly are not that likely. Whereas the option of him playing well enough to earn the contract we all think he earns or deserves to earn versus playing well enough that he earns the best contract to ever be written is much higher, <laughs> you know? So like he really like the, the cost benefit analysis of him doing this makes a lot of sense. And I mean, as a master negotiator, a master negotiator like EDC, I feel like he's like met his match, so to speak. You know, <laughs> like game, game sees game. Yeah, and you know, I, I think also if we look at Lamar's side, if we try and get into Lamar's head right now, you know, you're a franchise quarterback under the age of thirty, which really is the ultimate bargaining power in this sport, is it not? We've seen it in this past offseason. There's no such thing as an untradeable player for any team unless you're a franchise quarterback under the age of 30, really. I mean, because we even saw, saw Russell Wilson get traded, um, but he's obviously older than that. And then another argument people will throw out is that, well, Lamar's not you know being terribly smart about this because, you know, as you said, if he gets injured— well, then he's going to lose money. We just saw Dak Prescott sign for how much with the Cowboys after his injury? Uh, you know, it, it, this isn't... I, I feel like when people bring that up, you're trying to make a comparison to what happened to RG3's career and all the money he lost out on after his injury. But that was a... You know, he was a rookie. <laughs> and he had a, an injury that completely 
you know, took away the only thing he could do on the football field at that stage in his career. I, I don't think that's a good parallel personally, but you know, yeah, it's, it's, um, again, you're talking about more casual fans. Um, I don't know if, you know, whatever term you want to say, I, I do know several people who are Ravens fans and who know we do the podcast and listen during the season. They're just like, you guys do uh, off season podcast. What's there to talk about in the off season? I'm like, and I feel like this is a poor example to bring up of what there is to talk about in the off season because there's plenty to talk about about like what schemes are going to be implemented, what players, you know, what position groups are we looking at, positional battles. But then there you get the downside of the off season talking points, which is this, and that's kind of. <laughs> I think that's kind of sums it up. <laughs> well, I was going to say, any way you slice it, um, you know, the, the 2012 situation with Flacco, I think, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we're, we're hoping that's the best case scenario. But to be honest, I think what you need to look at is you need to look at 2013 um, and you need to look at some of the situations there of like, you know, if, if EDC is not able to to put out the right contracts, right? that's kind of a parallel there of, you know, that's kind of where we're headed because we know that regardless of how much money Lamar signs for, whatever number that may be, that's taken off the top of the salary cap. And so there's only so much money left uh, to go around. And so, obvi- you know, people will debate from here forever as to whether Flacco's contract sunk the Ravens, whatever. But you have to know that it was Flacco and a bunch of other contracts that uh, didn't work out. Um so yeah, I mean, you know, if we're looking at the you know this season and then the off season after that coming up, uh, you know, that to me is like you know the aside from what Alec you said earlier of of Lamar not playing well or getting injured, which you know, knock on wood, you know, we're hoping that is not the case. Um, aside from that, uh, basically 2013 is is like the next worst case scenario in my opinion. So um, you know, I think we need to you know trust in eric DaCosta to be able to make the right moves um you know he i feel like he he has um you know we've done a lot of analysis on on the draft and and kind of his strategy there uh double dip as well um so yeah i mean fingers crossed I and mean, we're hoping that uh all that strategy is going to pay off and, and have a better trajectory than 2013 did i will add you know the only other argument i could say you could put against Lamar, and obviously we have to watch him play the games because it's not on paper, but on paper, he's set up for a really great success. You know, the line looks like it's going to be really solid. A lot of weapons are coming back. Uh, there's a lot of reason to believe that even if the line's a little worse than it was in 2019, that the ancillary pieces, the wide receivers, the tight ends, and the running backs are better than 2019. So it could be a better offense potentially uh, just raw player wise. So if he doesn't show 2019, 2020 ish kind of results um, or level of play, then there could be a controversy of like, Oh, well, you know, we, we, we gave you like the perfect setup. Um, but I'm pretty confident he's going to get that set up and, and just be, you know, rocking and rolling. <laughs> so, you know, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. And, you know, I, I think that puts a, a great transition into the next topic that we want to talk about, which is obviously last year was derailed by a slew of injuries to star players. Um, this is something that has happened to the Ravens before. Um, you can think about years like 2005, uh, 2007, 2013 to agree. Um, but if you really look at what the amount of players who were lost and to what degree their importance was to the team. The season that is most 
um, similar would really have been 2015. Um, and you know, we can look at 2016 and I think if we look at 2016, it does offer something that, you know, might want to make the Ravens fans, you know, us as Ravens fans temper our expectations a little bit for this team coming out of the gate. Um, because, you know, you look at that, that season where we're looking at all these players that are going to be back and we're just like, ah, oh, Ravens are going to be right back. They're going to ha- win the AFC North, have a really strong record. It's possible it takes this team a little bit of time to get off the ground. That's certainly what happened in 2016 with a lot of the players coming back. Um, and unfortunately, that team didn't even make make the postseason. They made a strong effort but came up just short. Um, you know, I, I think you look at what the talent the team was in 2016 – and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure just looking at it, the the average age of the core players, you know, on that team was older than what the average age of, a core, of the core is uh, for this current roster. So that will have some, that's a, a difference that I think is important to take into account. But it, it does bring up the reality that these are players coming back from, you know, in, in some cases, some pretty significant injuries and it it could require some patience the first quarter, maybe even the first third or half of the season until we see this team really reach its full, full peak in, in 2022. I think with the injuries coming back situation, you know, there's a lot still to be figured out about that. I don't know, man, I hear these, these weird narratives. And again, maybe it's just like people trying to talk about stuff, but like, Oh, I don't think this player is going to be ready in time for the, you know, like insert, Injured player X, like, oh, they're not going to be ready. Uh, mostly around the running backs, mostly around Dobbins and 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 Gus. But I really haven't received any reason to think that, other than the fact that they've signed some people, right? I don't know. So that that always kind of makes me scratch my head. I do think, though, that it, it is realistic to think, assuming they don't have other setbacks as effective at the beginning of the season as they would be at, mid, at midseason, there definitely feels like there could be this ramp-up period that you're describing. And that, that happens for a lot of teams, regardless of injury. So kind of just baking into the fact that, okay, they're going to have a little bit harder time moving. And that's unfortunate for the Ravens because of the schedule we talked about. They play the whole AFC East at the first four games of the season. Some of those games are against uh, quality opponents that you really want to get wins against. And obviously being AFC games, they have the extra weight is there, weight there as well. So it'll be important that they figure out ways to win uh, despite having you know players kind of coming back and playing for the first time in months or years. Yeah, I think the thing for me too is, um, you know, 2016, I think that season was interesting because if, if I recall, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, I thought that was the off season. Um, so Flacco came back, was, was that the, he had the back injury or was that 2017? That was 2017, yeah. Uh, so 2016 is year. coming back from the ACL. The ACL, ACL, MCL. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, I mean... You know, obviously, you know, from the ACL tear, I mean, uh, Flacco had already kind of had an issue of throwing off his back foot even before the ACL. I feel like after that, it was still kind of an issue of just kind of getting his, his leg right. Um, but my, my point I was going to make with the back injury is basically that um, it's still pretty early, I think, to kind of project where the team could be. Uh, that's a good example of one, like an injury that, you know, we thought, at least in 2017, that Flacco was going to be great. And then we hear about this phantom back injury. And, you know, that kind of, you know, put a damper on yet another season. So, you know, there's there's still a lot of time left. Um, you know, training camp is obviously going to be coming up. 
I don't know. Like, I, I think your point about the average age just being younger of this team, I, I sort of agree with Peter. Um, you know, and I think obviously, you know, medical advancements I think are a little bit better, so they can uh, make a lot more of these success stories of guys coming back, like you know, Cam Akers last year um, was able to come back from an Achilles pretty quickly. So, I mean, I'm I'm optimistic, but I do think it is within the range of possibilities that you know, we could have something like 2016. Maybe there's a few guys who just aren't able to come back um, or not come back to the same, you know, level. Marcus Peters, I think, would be a guy who, you know, could fall on that just because of, you know, he's a little bit old. I'm not, I'm not going to say he's old. He, he might even be my age. I don't remember. <laughs> he's a little, he's little, younger than us. He's younger. Oh, oh God. Oh. January Bro. 9th, 90, 93. 29 oh, no. years old. Anyway, well, yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's man that's a shit way of thinking of thinking about that but um he's older relative to the other players on the team um so you know he might be a guy i'd be a little concerned about but uh but yeah otherwise it, it what i'm saying is, is it's very early i think to to say whether it's going to be a 2016 or, or whether it might be something else i actually want to dig into that a little bit more chris so you got marcus peters i think that's a really good example of a player we're a little bit concerned about coming back. And then you look at the overall depth around him and uh, there'd be concerns if that's the case. Not, I don't think it's, uh, you know, hit the alarm bad because teams experience setbacks like that every year with injury. Um, I guess it's like a pre-baked one, so to speak. But, you know, understanding where his level of play will be is important. Another place that you could look at that is the running back situation. I feel a little bit more comfortable there with some of the pieces they picked up this year. I, I would feel more comfortable with Beatty and uh, Mike Davis than I did uh, the other people that we had last year, like like Freeman and um, what was the other guy? Murray. 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 <laughs> That's Lady how quick I want to forget about him. Yeah, Latavius. Yeah. Oh, man, you forgot your guy as well. Uh, I never forget about Tyson. I drafted him in a dynasty league this year <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> how could I forget that he exists? Um but no, like he didn't work out for reasons that make me sad. We've talked about a million times. Um, but you know, I feel a little bit better there. Um, Ronnie Stanley, another interesting injury. Obviously, would be a big step back if he isn't the player we want him to be. Uh, we don't necessarily have anyone on the roster that makes you excited, but they're much better equipped for it than they were last year to handle that injury, right? So. Uh, Boyle, also similar situation where they really put a lot of resources in the tight end group. So if he's not the same level as he used to be, he's still not, uh, you know, fully back. Although I do think he might be, given the fact that he's really changed his body composition and he says he feels a lot better. There's reason to believe that he could be back. Again, there you, you see that the reinforcements have been made. So a lot of these places where we're worried about if this player comes back, what level of play will they provide? The Ravens do have some insurance policies that I don't think were necessarily in place last year. Maybe the next question is, are there places we don't have those insurance policies that if an injury occurred, other than the quarterback position, we'd be quite you know, nervous, right? Do you say other than the cornerback or the quarterback? Quarter. <laughs> quarterback, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the cornerback... <laughs> yeah, because I think of, of everything that we're listing right here, the cornerback position with the losses of, of Chris Westry and... Um, Anthony Averett. Uh, if Marlon Hump and and Jimmy Jimmy Smith hasn't resigned, right? No, and even if he had, I mean, retired. I, I, even if he had, it, with, with you know, 
obviously he'll have the veteran IQ, but I, I think you'd rather have the the fourth round rookies out there instead. Yeah, if if Marlon or or Marcus aren't able to come back and and be the players that we've come to expect, then I think the Ravens could be a, a, in a bit of a hole that you wouldn't want to be in. Obviously, tons of safety depth. Uh, you could run run some nickel. Uh, you know, put Clark or, or Hamilton in, in the slot possibly, but you know, it, it would really, that would really limit some things they'd want to do on defense. Um, but the good thing is with Peters, he's a, this was his first major injury in his NFL career, at least. So, you know, his track record says that he should, he's someone who knows how to keep track of his body or has just had incredible luck. One of the two. Um, and the injury happened before the season even started. Same thing with Gus and Dobbins. So, you know, you're getting the maximum recovery time that you would want. But I hear what you're saying with the running backs. Personally, I would actually rather have either either Latavius or Freeman over over Mike Davis. Mike Davis is really just a guy. Um, even mm. le- <laughs> I, 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 I think honestly, I'm sorry. I think Murray and Freeman have more in the tank than him, um, and they don't have that much left in the tank <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> um, and Batty, we'll see. You know, there's some intriguing things about him if, from his college tape, uh, but. You know he's an unknown till we really see what he can do. That being said, I, I do think that no matter how ready Dobbins or, or Gus are, that we will see a decent amount of of Mike Davis and or uh, Tyler early in the season, just because you know there's no reason to put these guys and give them a, a horse horse load workload right at the beginning of the season and and put that their rehabilitated bodies under that much of a test that early when you're ramping them up for what's hopefully going to be a, a deep run into the playoffs and, and even more hopefully the Super Bowl. So yeah, I running backs, we're really hoping Dobbins and Gus can come back. Um, but then other positions where we're lacking depth, I guess would be linebacker, right? I mean, linebacker Bowser is, um, we're not sure when he's going to be back. Uh, Ojabo is obviously, you know, we'll be lucky if he plays one snap this year. Uh, and then you've, you're short up at inside linebacker for the most part since Bynes is back. But you, for, for outside backers, I mean, right now you got Owe and, and Jalen Ferguson um, and not much depth behind them unless Dylan Hayes does take a big step this year um unless i'm forgetting anyone else i think the ravens are expecting ojava to play many snaps this year due to him getting a video done today uh for the hype videos you know i gotta gotta get him ready <laughs> exactly that, that's that's how we know everything if they're in the hype yeah. video i mean they got the hype video med- medical material, medical reports be damned they were in the hype video they're good to go <laughs> <laughs> i do remember though when we were watching when we were at the steelers game and they played the the hype video that they played week one or whatever or week two against uh, kansas city and it's literally like all these fallen soldiers, like none of those players were still playing at that point. It's like, oh man. Yeah. Gosh. How or can I get we hyped the, about this? When we went to the, the Wizards game back in, in March and like 70% of the, the, the hype videos was Bradley Beal and he was, he was out for the year. <laughs> That's that? right. Yeah. No, um, I do think though, another interesting point that kind of came out of that, that piece there, Peter, is that we do expect, and Harbaugh's made comments to, 
you know, back this up, that the Ravens aren't going to really play a lot of their starters in the preseason at all. He doesn't want to risk it again. So if that's the case, how do you bring them back into playing games? Like you could imagine that the first game of the year and even the second game are a little bit of a ramp up. Uh, and that maybe you're even leaning against some of the guys you did play in preseason because you do have to field some sort of team. Uh, I think that's an interesting little thing to think about. Obviously, there's some players that doesn't work as well with. So with Stanley, you're not going to cycle him in and out, most likely. He's probably going to play a whole game week one, but I wouldn't be shocked at all that he plays zero snaps in the preseason. Uh, but in other positions like running back, you can much easier cycle them and be like, all right, well, we ran Beatty into the ground in the preseason. We're going to run him a little bit more <laughs> you know, here and, uh, and, and other places too, even wide receiver. Curious to see how many snaps we see out of guys other than uh, than Bateman. I think Bateman might not even play that many snaps, if any at all. And then, but then the other guys too. It's like they're important pieces of the team, but they do need to play somebody. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll just play all those unrestricted free agents we picked up to <laughs> see what they got. <laughs> but I don't know. It's it it is really interesting to me, and I, <laughs> I'm actually really excited about the two preseason games we get to go to this year um, because I think. The Ravens are going to play almost none of their stars at all, but that's a good thing because we want to get as much you know, visibility on these young guys as possible and figure out what we got. So I don't know. I think we definitely could see some rotations at the beginning of the year to try to get these guys back into game speed. I think that's a good transition. Um, you brought up the wide receiver core. That's a, another th- uh, topic that's getting a ton of discussion among the fan community right now, and rightfully so because – the Ravens currently have zero established starters at this position. Um, they're going young, and you know we can look at past parallels if we want to, uh, as far as this is concerned. But I think this is kind of a first in the Ravens franchise history, and you know we can think back and see if there's somewhere we're missing where they're going with this young of a receiving group. Um, you know. Maybe they'll sign one of the vets that's still out there, possibly by the time this is re- uh, posted. I doubt it nah, man, at this point. Super fast. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never but, beat me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, we've got, who do we got here? We got Rashad Bateman, was a rookie last year. Devin Duvernay, James Prochet, year three receivers. Tylen Wallace, year two. Um, and some, uh, you know, some practice squad guys. <laughs> you know, that's really... This is a really young receiving group. I don't even know if I can think of any time in NFL history that this receiving group has been this young. Um, so th- this one's really like, I don't know if anyone can say any take right now about this group that you could say is, is wrong, whether it be, you know, super high <laughs> sky in the pie positive or down in the dumps negative. It's just, this is this is an experiment here. All right, I have a take. I want to hear yeah. if it's wrong or not. If I may. Okay. I feel like everyone's saying that Bateman is going to have a breakout season is only looking at statistics. I think he's done broke out on the tape. I, I I don't think there's anything more he has to show me other than a complete year of work of what he did uh, in in the game situations that he had uh, to convince me that he's not already there. I think I think he's there. I mean, he made so many good plays when he actually got thrown the ball when he was not targeted. Right. Is, is kind of the question. Was he not producing then? But I think I recall during the season when we wasn't getting targeted, we were upset about it. You know, we thought he he made good moves and he was doing the right things. So I, I feel like he's there and I feel like he's going to have to get targeted because there's not really that many other options. So 
I don't know. I, I, I just feel like I'm not sure what to make of that whole controversy or talking point is like, did you guys not actually watch like the plays that he made during the season? Or are you just looking at a, a spec or a, a stat sheet and saying like, Oh, he hasn't broken out yet. Like I feel like the kid came and played day one after an injury, like a baller. <laughs> and like, I don't know what more you want out of him other than like more of it. Well, we would love more of that. That would be great. <laughs> um, we always want more. Yeah. Always more, never less. Wasn't that the slogan a couple years ago? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, you know, again, it's like, it's one of those weird things, man. I just like, I want to be so excited for these guys. Um, I mean, you heard me the other episode when uh, Mink was on and I was hyping up Tylen Wallace. Like, I'm really excited for him in particular. But yeah, it's just like, you know, I don't know. You just never know with some of these young guys, especially with just an offense who doesn't, you know, they just don't prioritize, you know, receivers. And that's fine. You know, it, it is what it is. You kind of just have to accept that. Um, but it truly is. It's just, you know, it's, it's really difficult to project. And Peter, when you said earlier about this being the youngest, you know, core in a while, the, the only ones that I can see that might be close. So obviously 2019, I think is kind of close. Um, Sneed was still relatively young at that point. I think he was 26 or 27. Um, and then you had rookies in uh, Boykin and Hollywood on the outside as well. Um, 2013, maybe would also be one. Uh, Bolden was gone at that point and it was just Jacoby True. and um, Jacoby Torrey was on his third year and then Marlon Brown. So he was a rookie. So, I mean, that was fairly young too. Um, you know, 2013, I think, was okay, but we all miss Bolden. So, um, <laughs> like, I don't think every, I don't think lots of fans would say that that was a great season from the receiver core. And then, obviously, 2019, I mean, that was like, you know, the 32nd ranked, uh, you know, <laughs> wide receiver group in the NFL because we were running all over everybody. So, for me, look, I mean, I, I like what these guys have, I like what they can bring. Um, I do think, though, it's important to kind of just temper expectations of like, look, this is not going to be, this is probably not going to be a top 10 passing offense from like the receiver position. I just, I don't think that that's super realistic. Top half, I think would be great. I mean, even if you add Andrews in there, I think if, you know, it, that's fairly realistic. But if, you know, the Ravens are doing what they hope to be doing, and that is, you know, going back to 2019, running the ball, um, not being afraid to run the ball and then pass when they need to take advantage of the opportunities. But like, I mean, this just, this is not a, this is not a chiefs team. Uh, this isn't like a chargers team. This is just, you know, how the Ravens run things. Yeah. I mean, I think you both brought up really excellent points. Um, what's crazy to think about, um, as I completely agree with you, Chris, about 2013 and 2019 being very similar, but you know, what's, what's crazy about that was still like Jacoby Jones was still like a fifth year, six year pro at that point. And 2019, they had Snead, they had Seth Roberts as well. Now, of course, all those guys are not, you know, anywhere close to bona fide number one receivers, but he still had some age there. It's just so interesting how young they're going. But yeah, Alec, to Alec's point with Bateman, it's interesting because, you know, we put out a poll um, last week and got some great feedback. It was, it was great talking with um, with listeners about their thoughts on our, our topic last pod. And, um, you know, a lot of you were saying, you know, when we picked who's the most likely Raven to break out this year, and, and you picked, over uh, in the comments at least, overwhelmingly, it was Rashad Bateman in the, um, in the poll. I'm pretty sure Dylan Hayes won out. 
but you know, breakout is such a subjective term, right? Like what really constitutes a breakout? Is it, you know, someone who you weren't expecting to do anything and then all of a sudden they're they're there or is it someone who had a season statistically like Alex saying that is what you expected they would eventually reach, but just because of, you know, production or or the players around them, scheme, whatever, they weren't able to reach. So, yeah, I, I think whether or not Bateman broke out last year or not is up to your interpretation of what a breakout is. For me, I don't know. I don't know what to make of Bateman's look earlier last year because, like, he, he was certainly steady when Lamar was in there for the first six games he suited up. And then he was shut out against Pittsburgh, uh, had his only 100-yard game of the season in Cleveland once Lamar went down. And then, you know, I, I get that stats aren't everything, and I completely agree with that, that they don't tell the whole picture. You can't just stare at someone's game log and say, oh, well, this player was better than this player because of these numbers. you, you got to watch the film. But then the question with Bateman still remains, why was it that he wasn't involved in the game plans um, going down the stretch when clearly we saw that Huntley could throw to him against Cleveland um, and he did target him 10 times against the Rams. Could have just been, you know, game specific, um, but then you can make the argument, well, you didn't really have any playmakers outside of Andrew. Well, Marquise Brown was there. I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting question and hopefully one that we don't have to think about much going forward because the Ravens uh, utilize Bateman as a true 1A to Andrews 1B or, or you know, Bateman is 1B and Andrews is 1A, whatever you, whatever it ends up being. Um, but, yeah, I, it's interesting what they're going to do. And the one last thing I want to say about the receiving group, and one of your guys' thoughts as well, is, again, huge difference between comparing this group with, with some of the ones from the past because of a, a lot of reasons, like we're saying. But, you know, one of the things that, the Ravens really missed in 2010. Now, granted, granted, 2010 was a group of vets, all of which were either, you know, in the back half of their prime or past their prime. So that needs to be taken into consideration. But the big um, issue that receiving crew, uh, core had, and it showed up blatantly, obviously, against Pittsburgh in the divisional round of the playoffs that year, was that team didn't have a, a, a wide receiver who could take the top off the defense and spread things out, spread the defense out for other guys to do their thing. Um, Pittsburgh took advantage of that in the second half of that game, and Ravens were just not able to do anything offensively to and and coughed up their halftime lead in that game. With the loss of Brown, you know you do still have guys who are, who have downfield speed in on this team. Not to the degree of Hollywood, though. Do we think that this team has enough deep threats? Not just the guys who can run that deep, but can actually, you know, play the deep ball to avoid that pitfall this season. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a great point, Peter. I, that for me is probably one of the biggest parallels, and I look to the 2010 season for that. Um, so, if, if you guys recall, I mean, that was the season where basically the Ravens didn't have anybody that was homegrown. Uh, they were all vet wide receivers. So you had uh, Derek Mason. So I think that was his last year as a Raven. Um, Bolden, I guess it was his second year with the Ravens. So he would be here for a few more years. Uh, and then you had um, TJ Hushmanzada as well. 
Uh, and obviously Todd Heap was still there. It was his last season with the Ravens as well. So I mean, you had a lot of um, you had a lot of proven guys in terms of possession receivers. Uh, you just they didn't have that burner, and that was such a big deal for the Ravens that they ended up getting Torrey Smith the next year in the second round. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's a big concern. Um, I remember you know watching tape from that season, and it just yeah it was. It's just so frustrating, you know, that you, you need to spread some of the guys out and, you know, all, all these guys can, you know, can can try to get open, but it requires a lot of um, precision passing. And I think at that point, you know, Flacco, that was not his strength. I mean, his strength was to throw the ball deep and let his guys go get it. So, yeah, I mean, there were definitely limitations with that and, uh, you know, they were, you know, being uh, resolved. So, I mean, that, that's why, at least for me, I, I think the Ravens have to get somebody else. Um, you know, I've said it before, I, I still kind of feel like if Julio Jones is healthy, I think he might be the guy. Um, because I think he's he can he can be that big body receiver, and he can also uh, run deep. Um, at least, you know, hopefully he still can. Um, but I, I think he kind of fits the mold of what the Ravens might want. Um, you know, Will Fuller, he might be an option too if he's healthy. I mean, we all know that he's a good deep threat. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean... Duvernay can maybe be that guy. I, I mean, one of the reasons I'm just not super high on Duvernay is just, you know, I, he, he showed a lot last year in terms of um, catching in traffic. Uh, I know tons of people played that clip of of him catching that pass from Omar in the back of the end zone against the Vikings. It was a great catch, uh, great adjustment for him. But I do remember, like, as a rookie, I think even 20, actually, yeah, 2020 would have been his rookie season. Um, just him, like, him being used as like a Hollywood Brown in deep threat and just couldn't connect with Lamar. I mean, it didn't happen often, but it did happen a handful of times and they just weren't able to connect. So, I mean, he could do it and that he has the speed, but, um, I like right now, if you were to ask me, like, is he going to be that guy? Like, I don't think he's that guy. Like he has to, he has to really show, uh, that he belongs there in that uh, route. Um, if I were the Ravens, I would try to get somebody else just in case, uh, he, you know, may not be cut out for that specific role in the offense. Bayman ran a four point three nine forty. I feel pretty good about him as a deep threat. But you gotta catch a ball though. Bayman catches a lot of balls. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, oh, like, sorry, we're talking Bayman, not Duvernay. Okay, yeah, okay. like I'm, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think Bateman's our deep threat, like underappreciated deep threat, because when he finally got healthy. Uh, Marquise Brown was there, and that was kind of his role in the offense. And then after that, it was Huntley, and he could he never threw deep balls. Like, you know, that's the other part of about his season that's kind of weird is that you're grading on this weird Huntley curve. That if you look at the games when you said it, Peter, you you pointed it out, right? <laughs> like the Lamar games, he he played the best. Obviously, that one game was a Lamar game, uh, the Pittsburgh game. But yeah, like. Well, wait, 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 but wait, but wait, wait, he had his best game of the season against Cleveland with Huntley. Seven, seven, te- seven receptions on eight targets for 103 yards and some highly contested cra- grabs in that. Sure. I mean, that, that, <laughs> I think that's fair, but he's like consistency of good games was under Lamar is more what I was saying. I mean, I guess I, 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 that could be, that could be a bad take. I, I, I can fully agree with that. I just do think though that that Bateman though is a deep threat. That that is a part of his arsenal. It's just that I don't know. I think <laughs> dare I say the Ravens are used to having uh, receivers that have their niche of what they can do, and they might finally actually have a wide receiver that can do it all in Bateman. And we got to now see if that's the case. But 
I'm of the opinion that Bateman is a full-on wide receiver uh, that can line up in any position, run any route, and be successful. And uh, we don't need to have one-trick or three-trick ponies when we got the the nine-trick pony. Oh, certainly. And and I 100% agree that Bateman, you know, projects to be the all-around receiver. And there was a lot of promising um, moments in his rookie season. And obviously, Mark Andrews is uncoverable uh, if he maintains what he did last year. I just wonder if it's going to be enough. That's what I wonder um, in the case that none of the other players on that are currently on the roster step up or, you know, the capable vet doesn't show up. I expect someone from that group to step up and be, you know, serviceable when they go up against defenses that are going to sell out and try and take Andrews and Bateman away. But I, I think we just got to, we got to look at both coins here. Cause you know, we're, we're obviously have in our mind what the best case scenario can be, but aside from 2019, and then, in the, you know, all the bad sides of the coin came in the playoffs that year anyway. You know, it's, it's always really muddy. Actually, what happens in actuality is, is muddy instead of our crystal clear pie in the sky best observations. But there's really no reason for us to expect anything less than bait, from Bateman than a great year. I just look at his year last year and, and there's some things about his consistency that's still give me a little question mm-hmm. totally fair that's the big thing for him next year is he can bring his best traits week to week uh he'll be one of the best receivers in the nfl it's just consistency is the key i think the last thing we want to talk about and i'm pretty excited about this topic is what happens in the past when the ravens draft a player where they already have uh riches so to speak uh, it's a little bit of a surprise that they went in that position and used uh, high draft capital on a player where their role day one might not even be as a starter. But we've seen a lot of this in the last couple of years. Humphrey in 2017, Dobbins in 2020, and Lamar Jackson in 2018, where they just picked a player because they thought they were undeniable at that spot. Uh, Humphrey became an all-pro and garnered one of the best contracts for a cornerback. Dobbins uh, was on a really bright trajectory before getting injured. And uh, Lamar Jackson's Lamar Jackson. Uh, so I think it's interesting to kind of talk about that. Um, in the past, when the Ravens have done stuff like this, it's usually been a resounding hit. Uh, so um, I think there are even more examples if we think about even further. Um, but those are the most recent ones that if the Ravens draft somebody when there's not a clear need, they're probably going to be a really good player. Jonathan Ogden is one. Yeah, uh, J.O., exactly. <laughs> oh, that's, that's like true. OG example. Yeah. And that's actually a really good example because I'm forgetting the name of the guy who was the entrenched left tackle for Baltimore at that time. But he had to start his career at left guard, if I'm not mistaken, because yep. they wanted to keep keep the vet there for that first season. Tony Jones. Tony Jones, that was it. Yep. 
Yeah, I think I overall agree with the take. I mean, I think, you know, that's kind of that's the mantra of best player available, right? It doesn't matter what your needs are, um, but picking the best player, you know, hopefully, you know, in the long run, um, you know, within, you know, a few years or something, something will shape out and that player will be the right player to pick. Um, you know, you, I mean, you've seen when the Ravens drafted for need and like just haven't been as good, right? I mean, Perriman was a huge stretch, uh, a huge need in in 2015. Uh, that wasn't the right move. Uh, Matt Elam, I think, was a huge stretch uh, from a need. Uh, probably was not the best player available. Uh, not a good pick. You know, I mean, there's a few, you know, even Patrick Queen, I guess, is more of a need, uh, you know, than a best player available uh, pick. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think it, I think it will work out. I, I, although I do have one, you know, maybe one example that kind of falls in here, um, which I think is a little unique. Um, I'd like almost put Orlando Brown Jr. in here. <laughs> knowing what we know now where he was like i'm a i'm a left tackle we did draft <laughs> him knowing that we had ronnie stanley there and it just so happened that you know the off season that we had to make a decision uh on stanley that was the one that orlando was like now nah, i'm gone um so you know that one didn't work out uh for some reasons i mean i'm not saying it was a bad call because uh, brown was obviously a really great right tackle for us for a few years but uh, even left tackle that one season but yeah, I mean, it's. I think the the overall track record is, you know, the Ravens have had a lot of success in picking best player available, um, and honestly, like it works out too. I mean, even if you look at the numbers, right? I mean, Clark is probably under contract for what another two seasons. So I mean, Hamilton's going to be here for four, if not five years. I mean, even if he even if he doesn't become a starter until year three, I don't think that's a you know failure of of Hamilton by any stretch. I mean, I think he will probably be the starter sooner rather than later, but I don't think that's a bad thing, even if it does take that long because Clark is playing so well. Yeah, this is a very interesting topic, and, um, you know, I had a very, uh, do a plug for Baltimore Film Study, had a very uh, fun conversation with Ken McCusick on this topic uh, last week, and <laughs> this podcast will probably be online before that one is but <laughs> so <laughs> take a you can listen out for the podcast from the past in the future coming out in the future when you're listening to this if that made sense <laughs> but <laughs> um that's the funny part about us recording with him i was saying that last episode like sorry to repeat myself <laughs> but i hadn't yet it was the first exactly time i ever said it publicly right. <laughs> yeah and you know it's a really good conversation if you listen to it because um ken and i both came out uh you know, from a similar standpoint, but I think that Ken was a little more bullish on uh, Hamilton cutting into Clark's snaps than than I am, and we will see what happens. But you know, when we look at these situations, you know, Chuck Clark is still going to play a lot of important snaps in this season for the Ravens. You look at some of the times the Ravens have done this in the past. Okay, J.K. Dobbins, when we drafted Dobbins, a lot of the Ravens' base was like, okay, why are we doing that? We've got Mark Ingram, established vet, uh, Gus Edwards, up-and-coming player on cheap contract. Why do we need a third running back? And, you know, going into the season, the offseason, a lot of people were writing Gus Edwards off. and like, okay, there's too many mouths to feed. Gus Edwards is going to be the guy on the way out. He's going to get a couple carries per game. And... You know, even before Ingram got phased out because of old age, Gus still had a sizable number of carries in the first half of the year. And now that three-headed running back rotation didn't really work out. But, you know, that's (laughs) Marlon Humphrey came in here at 2017. Now, cornerback was a little more of a need then. 
he had Jimmy Smith and Brandon Carr in front of him, but not much depth after that. But, you know, Humphrey still played a lot of snaps while Smith and, and Carr were in there a lot as well. And then Humphrey took over as a starter in 2018. I, I think that Chuck Clark will have a big role on this defense. What's going to be really interesting to see, and I think that this there's going to be two things in my opinion, um, and you guys can disagree with me if, if you do, because I, I don't think it's something you know that I'm like, this is definitely how it's going to be, but this is how I kind of see it right now. How many snaps Hamilton plays on this defense is going to be um, based you know, not just on the personnel, because obviously that's they'll they'll run plenty of three safety looks, but it's going to be a combination of how well does Hamilton adapt to the NFL game, obviously, and then how well is the Mike McDonald defense? Um, how how well is the unit coming together on that? Because it, in my opinion, Chuck Clark is the most important player on this defense in 2022, simply because. Uh, as the guy who's had the green dot for the past few years on this team, he's the your best choice to make sure everyone's lining up, make sure everyone's got the concepts down and knows where they need to be in this new scheme. So, you know, as the season rolls on, even if Hamilton is playing as, you know, th- this first round pick that we all envisioned in him as uh, right out of the gate, you, the Ravens are still probably going to need a lot of Chuck Clark on the field out of necessity. Now, I know that Harbaugh is saying that we have a lot of guys who can wear the green dot. Um, it's one thing to, to say that and to project that someone can do it um, in June. And another thing to when you're getting in December and it's late in the season and every play matters and saying, okay, do we really trust someone else besides the guy who's been doing it for the longest Um to have that role in this situation. Um, it's completely possible that I'm overvaluing Clark as like, I feel like both Clark and Gus Edwards are like my two favorite players on the team where like their actual talent and uh, my opinion of them are like, have the biggest gap uh, as far as like overvaluing. But <laughs> that's kind of how I see it, it right now, how it would play out with those two players. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. You know, again, you know, it's, it's still somewhat early. Um, I, I would, I'm not entirely sure what the situation is going to be with Chuck and the Green Dot. Um, I don't know. I feel like if they're opening it up to, if basically, I don't think that that has happened. I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that's happened in the last like couple of years. Um, it's been pretty obvious that it's been Chuck. No one's asked. It's just it has been Chuck. So the fact that like he's opening it up kind of leaves something to be interpreted there but um you know again like the the question is like is it hamilton like is hamilton ready to do that because if he's going to get the dot um i mean he's got to be playing uh day one week one um but if it's not him i mean who else could it be like i don't think Bynes. i don't think it's him um queen maybe but again like you know now we're talking like you know we're not even talking about hamilton coming in in terms of best player available we're just talking like you know can queen make that jump everybody keeps asking you know can he make the jump is he going to be you know a ray lewis like player right everybody wants to to know if that's the case um i mean from what i from what i know right now like i i would not say that it's you know queen's gonna wear the green dot i just i think that that's gonna be like um that would have to be like a really big step up for him um, could happen, but just seems unlikely. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm more interested to to kind of know if like, you know, because we were talking earlier about you know the 2016 season and how a lot of the guys coming back were older uh, vets. Um, you know, looking at you know the middle linebacker room. Uh, I think Peter, you mentioned this earlier. It's like it's kind of set, but also like there's a little bit of risk there. So I mean, if if Bynes were to go down, just hypothetically. Um, I think that would be a little bit of a concern, right? Because Queen isn't there yet. Um, Harrison's not really there. Uh, Welch, you know, I don't is not really. I don't think he's the guy. I mean, I've liked what I've seen from him in limited snaps, but I, I don't think he's kind of ready to take over what Bynes is doing today. So I like I'd be a little bit more curious of just you know are there packages in there where Hamilton gets starting you know uh, you know strong safety role or you know whatever safety position that they're playing him in, and then Chuck kind of comes down to that you know, will linebacker kind of spot, um, or, you know, or Mike, like he can, he can play that. He, he's, he's a good dimebacker. Um, but I'm wondering if like, that's how they like figure out the green dot situation is that, you know, they're like, you know, Hamilton clearly has a talent, like he can play. Um, so we're going to put him in transfer the dot, but you know, Chuck is still going to play a lot. Um, you know, he just might not be on every single snap. Well, like we said at the top of the show, only time will tell how these scenarios this year will play out. But hopefully, going back down memory lane a bit, with the past times the Ravens franchise had to deal with similar situations, will help us uh, have better expectations going into the season. You can follow us on Twitter, One Winning Pod, and you can email us at onewinningpod at gmail.com. Definitely go subscribe to the YouTube channel, um, also One Winning Pod, because uh, we might be putting important content up there soon as. Uh, we get closer to the season so keep an eye out for what more might be coming there and we'll see you soon as more news breaks about the ravens and there's a uh, more stuff, fun stuff to talk about this offseason what's the practice that everyone's upset that lamar didn't go to that's how important it was <laughs> otas <laughs> what's an ota right, that's gonna definitely be the after show <laughs> <laughs> All right, what the hell are the Ravens doing? Is it voluntary, involuntary OTAs now? Is that what it's called? Or is it minicamp? Minicamp. Minicamp. Lamar Jackson reports to minicamp. Here we go. Take two. All right. <laughs> you can do it. Welcome back to... All right, I was going to do the take, and now you ran over me. All right, you do it. <laughs> You're good. Fine. You're lagging, bro. <laughs> go, go, go.